Then we're going to open Scripture together, and I am going to ask the Father to give us what we sang for, joy. Let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you are the joy giver, not the joy stealer. We have an enemy. He's come to rob and kill and destroy. But Jesus, you have come that we might have life and have it abundantly. Oh, Holy Spirit, giver of joy, whose fruit is love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. Holy Spirit, would you come? Father and Son, send the Holy Spirit that from our innermost being would flow rivers of living water and that we would experience again, afresh, anew, the joy of our salvation. Oh, Father, you're the giver of immortal gladness. Fill us with the light of day. Lord, we may, may we no longer look to this world for light, but to your word, its truth. The light has shined into the darkness, and the darkness hasn't overcome it. Even though he placed himself under it, he rose triumphantly from it. And we, through him this morning, say thank you. We ask, help all who hear, both here in this auditorium and online, and those who will hear the message shared with them by others, help all who hear to be filled with supernatural joy, both today and in the week to come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you to take your Bible, turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, and I want to turn our attention to the Word of God this morning, and we're going to read the first 10 verses of 2 Peter 3. This is God's Word. This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you, in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heaven and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some would count slowness. 
but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. This is God's word. When, I, when our kids were little, uh, we would always, every night, we would read bedtime stories to them. We would read stories like, you know, The Very Hungry Caterpillar. You read your kids that story? Or Are You My Mother? Remember that story? Do you read that, that story to your kids? Now listen, I don't want you to think, hey, I'm just a pagan. We'd, sometimes we'd read the storybook Bible to them, okay? And the goal of story time, what is it? Get your kid to go to sleep. Go to sleep. I want you to know this morning my goal is not that you would go to sleep. In fact, the Bible, the Word of God, is not a bedtime story. It's a wake time story. It calls us to wake up, to rise up, and to believe that what Jesus has promised to us is actually good news. It's good news. Now, last week, we saw that there's, there is, in the Bible, bad news and good news, and we are invited to respond to this story that's called the gospel, the good news. What I want us to see this week is that this book, the Bible, is one story. And it's intended to wake us up. Now, let me show you that in verse 1 of chapter 3. This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you in which I am stirring up. That word, stirring up, literally means I'm waking you up. I had a little bit of a cold last week, and so every night I'd go to sleep with the expectation that I would have a full, restful night of sleep. But then after a few minutes, what seemed like a few minutes to me, I would be woken up by my wife poking me, pulling my beard, saying, roll over, roll over, you're snoring, you're snoring. No, I'm not. Listen. If the Father works in your heart this morning and says to you, wake up, wake up, don't argue. Don't say, oh no, I'm not asleep, I'm good, I'm good, I'm not snoring. No, wake up. Let me ask you this. Are you sensing in your heart during this time of year, the time of year when, when we expect God to be filled with, with joy for us and, and gifts for us and goodness toward us. Listen, are you experiencing on a heart level in your soul a deep assurance that God is your heavenly Father? Are you convinced on a heart level that God is your heavenly Father and He cares about every area of your life. 
Listen, are, are you experiencing on a heart level a real sense that this book is filled with promises for you? And, and are you taking God at his word? Are you taking him at his word that, that his promises are true? They're yes and amen through Jesus Christ. Listen, is it real to you? Is it real to you that Christ has come and Christ has died and Christ is risen and Christ will come again? Is the love of the Father that we sang about this morning, does it thrill your heart? Does it meet you? On an experiential level, are you convinced? I want you to be. I want you to wake up. Wake up to the glory of the gospel. Wake up to the one story of the Bible. I stir you up by way of reminder that you would remember. You would remember the one story of the Bible. What is it? What I want us to do this morning is I want us to answer three questions. Number one, what's the one story of the Bible? What's the one story of the Bible? Secondly, I want us to know what does the one story of the Bible mean for me? I want you to walk out these doors this morning. I want you to turn off your computer this morning. And I want you to be able to say confidently what the one story of the Bible means for me. And then I want to answer the question, how can you tell? How can you tell that the one story of the Bible is actually moving in and going down into the center of your life? How can you tell? We're going to answer those three questions. So first, what's the one story of the Bible? The one story of the Bible is the story of God's saving love through Jesus. The one story of the Bible is Jesus. Now, when I say that the Bible is one story, I am not saying that the Bible is make-believe. See, when, when we hear the word story, our minds immediately go to made-up stories, invented stories, make-believe stories. And when the Bible talks about itself being a story... When the Bible reveals God in history through stories, he's doing it intentionally, not because the stories are made up, but because stories capture our hearts. And that's what God is after. He wants our hearts captured with his love. He wants our hearts burning within us. Let me show you that in Luke 24. In Luke 24, Jesus met after his resurrection, two of his disciples, as they were leaving town. You know, you know the, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, the guys who were really serious about Jesus, who had it all together? You know, those guys. Well, two of them had it so together that after Jesus was killed and buried, they left town. They weren't looking for his resurrection. They weren't expecting him to come back. They were on their way out of Dodge. And Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared to them. And as he appeared to them, he, beginning with Moses, Luke 24, 27, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. 
The whole story, the whole Bible, all the scriptures is about Jesus. And what happened in these men? They rushed back to Jerusalem with news. He is really risen. And what did they say? They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Oh, dear people, the one story of the Bible, I'm not explaining it to you so that your mind can be filled with intellectual knowledge. Oh, I want you to know some things. But I want that truth to go down into your heart. And I want Jesus to burn within your heart as you see and understand the one story of the Bible. It's for you. So what is it? The one story of the Bible begins with creation. The Bible teaches that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The whole story of the Bible begins with God's action. It begins with God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who had existed eternally in this perfect love relationship, working to express their love by creating a good and beautiful world from nothing. God spoke, and the heavens, the stars, the earth, and everything on the earth and in the earth came into being. In the beginning, God. Where did we come from? We came from God. What does the world tell us? The world tells us that we're just a chance accident. That time plus random events leads to life. The Bible says, no. An infinite, personal God spoke. And he made everything. You're not a cosmic accident. Take that truth into your heart that you are made and fashioned by a good, infinite, personal God. And that all that he has made is good. You say, well, Dave, I look at the world around me and I see so many things that aren't good. What went wrong? What went wrong is... The second chapter of the Bible, and the second chapter of the Bible is the fall. Peter is telling this one story of the Bible in 2 Peter 3. Look at verse 7. By his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. You see, Our original parents, Adam and Eve, they turned their back on God. They said, God, we're wiser than you are. We know better than you do how to run our own lives. And that ungodliness, that resistance to God's fatherly care, that refusal to believe that God is good and he has our best intentions in mind, that resistance to God is called ungodliness. It's called sin. And that attitude of the heart, that resistance to God passes on to every generation after our first parents, Adam and Eve. And so all of us come into the world in this state of ungodliness. All of us come into the world resisting 
God and his good plan for his good creation. And the question is, can anything be done about it? And the answer is, yes. The third chapter of the Bible is redemption. That salvation comes from above. The story of the Bible is not man working hard to try and save themselves. The story of the Bible, from beginning to end, is God saves sinners. The third chapter, redemption, says that salvation comes from outside this world. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. His God made the first move. He left heaven and came to earth in the person of his son. God put on flesh. He moved into the neighborhood. And we saw him. And we see him in scripture. Jesus Christ doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. He was utterly godly. He said yes to the Father in everything the Father asked him to do. And that included going to the cross for you and for me. And on the cross, Jesus Christ paid the full and awful penalty that our ungodliness, our rejection of God deserves so that we could be reconciled, redeemed, brought back into a forever relationship with God the Father through the Son. How do we know it's true? He's given us the assurance by His Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ, the fourth chapter of the Bible is this, that one day Jesus Christ will come again. The day of the Lord will come. Do you believe that? Are you hopeful for it? Are you expecting it? Jesus promised, one day soon, I will come again. The best is yet to come. I will establish the final state of things, and the final state of things will be so much better than the first state of things. Because in the first state of things, with Adam and Eve in a garden, it was good, but it was possible for all to be lost. But in the new heavens and the new earth, the best is yet to come because it won't be possible for sin to come in and ruin it all over again. Why? Because the work of Christ is so, so good and so, so complete. And when he comes again to establish the final state of things, Everything sad will come untrue. Oh, dear people, do your hearts long for that. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, is the heart cry of every child of God. Well, that's the one story. But what does the one story mean for me? What does the one story mean? For you. You see verse 1? This is now beloved. Or do you see verse 8? Do not let this fa uh, fact escape your notice. Beloved. Deep down in your heart of hearts, do you believe yourself to be a beloved? Of God. 
How would someone know that they were an agapetas? The word is only used in the New Testament to refer to a Christian. Agapetas, the, word, the Greek word for love, agape, meaning a sacrificial love, an unconditional love that you, if you are a Christian, you are an agapetas, an object of God's unconditional, sacrificial love towards people who don't deserve his love. That he looked upon us in love. That's what, that's what caused him to make the heavens and the earth. He looked upon us with love and he didn't leave us in our fallen condition. He looked upon us in love and that's why he sent his son. He looked upon us in love and that's why Jesus won't leave us stranded. He'll come and establish the final state of things. Are you an agapitas? That when the Father looks at you, the same thing that he says of Jesus in Matthew chapter 3 and in Matthew chapter 17, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. If you could catch eyes with the Father in his throne room in heaven right now, if you could catch eyes with him, what would be the expression on his face? Because of the work of Jesus Christ, God is pleased with you because he is pleased with his son, your savior, Jesus. The look on God's face towards you is one of love. Because God is in love with His Son, your Savior, Jesus. If it's true of Jesus and you are in Jesus, then you are loved and the Father is pleased with you. Let that sink into your hearts. Let that into your life. And it's not a vague love. It's a real love. A sacrificial love. A self-giving love, an unconditional love. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us in this. While we were yet sinners, there was nothing that would commend us to God. There was no reason for the Father to love us other than he loved us and he gave his son for us. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Are you a Christian? Are you trusting in Christ alone for salvation as he's offered in the gospel? If you are trusting in Christ alone, then you're beloved. God is pleased with you because he's pleased with his son, your savior, Jesus. Now, how, how can you tell that that's moved in? How can you tell that that's real in your life? Because we're remembering God. Because you remember God's patience and promises. 
You remember God's patience and promises. You come back again and again and again to the one story of the Bible. Listen, you open your email lately? I open my email in the morning. It's unbelievable. Every company that I have ever purchased anything from online, they are so glad to have me, they're willing to give me 60% off to buy more stuff. Every morning, my inbox is filled with emails inviting me to plug my heart into life through stuff. And every morning, God is inviting you. What if it was an email? What if it said something like this? Dear church, remember God's promises and patience. Good morning. I hope and trust you're doing well. I'm following up on my last email regarding the great and precious promises of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Sincerely, Pete. What if you could get an email like that every morning to remember God's promises, remember God's patience? Look at verse 9. You can have it. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Remember God, remember God, his patience. Remember God, his promises. Alexander Sotsonitsin was given the uh, Templeton Prize for Progress in Religion in May of 1983. He had lived for over 50 years under communist rule in the Soviet Union. And when he gave a speech accepting the prize, he said this. More than half a century ago, while I was still a child, I recall hearing a number of the older people offer the following explanation for the great disasters that had befallen Russia. Men have forgotten God. That's why all this has happened. Since then, I have spent... 50 years working on the history of our revolution. In the process, I have read hundreds of books, collected hundreds of personal testimonies, and have already contributed eight volumes of my own toward the effort of clearing away the rubble left by that upheaval. But if I were asked today to formulate as concisely as possible the main cause of the ruinous revolution that swallowed up some 60 million of our people, I could not put it more accurately than to repeat, men have forgotten God. That's why all this has happened. Dear people, remember God. Remember God. Now, how can you remember him? How can you tell that it's moving in? Well, the Bible would give you many, many, many dozens of ways that you could see that the, pro- that the work of the gospel, the work of God has moved into your heart. It would be expressed in so many ways. But this verse... 
this one verse that we're giving attention to this morning has two. Are you experiencing more and more the seriousness, the trustworthiness of God's precious promises in your life? Are you getting under the promises? Are you getting under the promises of God? Are you taking them for your own? How could you tell that was happening? Let me ask you this. Are you more honest with the people around you about your own sin, your own need of a Savior? Do the people that you live next door to, that you work next door to, that you play next to, that you work out next to, that you go to class with every day, do they look at your life and are they left to think, boy, I wish I could just be a good person like them? Or have you learned how to be honest with the people around you to say, you know, I'm a real mess but I have a great Savior whose name is Jesus. And I am falling in love with Him more and more as I experience His promises toward me. Are you becoming more honest with the people around you? Are you becoming more truthful? Are you willing to tell the truth even if it means losing a sale? Are you willing to tell the truth, even if it means moving down the list of performers in the marketplace? Are you willing to tell the truth, even if it might cost you credibility, standing, significance, security? Are you willing to tell the truth? When the promises of God are moving into your life, you're honest about your need of a Savior. You're trustworthy, and you tell the truth. What about God's patience? Well, first of all, listen, would the marketplace be a better place if you could always count on people's word being their word? Yes. God's wiser than we are. The marketplace would be far better if we all told the truth. How are we going to get there? When people who are following Jesus begin to take the promises into their life so that they begin to tell the truth even when it costs them something. What about his patience? When God's patience moves into the center of a person's life, they begin to be patient with others. Listen, I raised two kids. That's why I have such little hair. I wasn't always a very patient person, and I pulled all my hair out. But the Lord Jesus, as he's moved into my life, he's helping me become more and more of a patient person. What could happen in your parenting if instead of being driven by fear of what might happen, could happen to your kids, you were driven by love and patience that God has been so patient towards you. You know, do you understand why it's helpful that God doesn't entrust six-year-olds with kids? Because by the time you're in your 30s or 40s, when you're raising teenagers, you have an idea of the promises of God and His patience towards you. 
And it causes you to be patient towards your kids. What could happen in your parenting if the patience of God towards you started to be worked out in your patience towards your kids? What could happen in your marriages if your patience with one another began to flow from God's incredible patience toward us? How do we get there? Well, it's in the very last word of verse 9. The Lord is not slow about His promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. See, when the one story of the Bible comes to us, the story of God's creation and the fall and redemption and consummation, when the one story of the Bible comes to us, the one thing it won't let us do is remain neutral to it. The one story of the Bible says, reject it or reject the stories that you're telling yourself. And to reject the stories that you're telling yourself, you have to repent. You have to unplug from those stories. And it's very, very hard. I get to tell you the one story of the Bible for 20, 30, 40 minutes on a Sunday. And you spend hours Every day, scrolling through all the false stories that the world tells you. And you hear those stories, and you either paint yourself as the less than victim or the villain of the story. And you say, I'm too old, I'm too overweight, I'm too slow, I'm not quite smart enough, I'll never make the grade. Unplug from that story. Stop telling yourself that story. And start telling yourself the story of the gospel. Plug into the life of Jesus. He lived his life for you. He died his death for you. You are important to God. You are beloved. Or some of you Look out on the stories of the world and you say, I am the captain of my own fate. I am the determiner of my own destiny. I am smart enough. I am good enough. I am holy enough. And God is really fortunate to have me on his team. Repent. Unplug from that story you will be crushed under its weight and plug into the one story of the Bible. Yes, God loves you, but not because you're lovable, but because God is love. And he's shown you his love through Jesus, his son, and his sacrifice for you on the cross. Plug into that story. Repent. Turn away and keep turning away from every story that doesn't exalt Jesus and worship Him. Oh, what could happen? What could happen in our community if a group of people had a 50 megahertz bomb of the gospel explode in our hearts? What could happen in our community if if a group of people 
were so gripped by the gospel, the one story of the Bible, that we went out and we told the truth. We went out and we were honest. What would happen in our community if we went out and we were patient with others? What if we went out and instead of cursing the darkness, I can't believe how angry everybody is. We said, I want to show the watching world what it looks like to be patient. Because I am beloved of God. Let's pray. Father, there's some work that only you can do in our hearts that we would ask you to do now. That Holy Spirit, you would take the things of Jesus and make them real to us. Holy Spirit, that you would search and touch and draw and teach every heart here. Help them to see the, the false stories they're plugged into and to repent, to unplug and plug into the one story of the Bible. Holy Spirit, you teach, you draw, you help. Jesus, I don't know every person here. I don't know all the people watching online. I don't know the people who will hear this message, even days or months or years from now. So, Father, would, would you work through Jesus to draw those who are far from you to you? Jesus, would, would you draw them and enable them to just do work with you right now to say, Jesus, I admit, I, I've sinned against you in many ways, and I'm sorry. I, I've been trying to be the hero of my own story. Jesus, I believe you came and you lived and died and rose again for me. You're my hero. I receive you as Savior, and I trust you as Lord. Jesus, I commit to going your way. Move into my life. Help me become the person you want me to be. Jesus, more than any time of year, we ask that this season would be a season when we recover the joy of the gospel, the joy of a Savior who left heaven and came to earth for us. Fill us with your joy this day, we pray.